0: Hey, my friends, Jason Menes here. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Blessed to be with you guys. And thank you guys for joining us as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So I'm away from my studio, but I wanted to put out this podcast because of the great importance and the great significance in 1 Corinthians 3 of what we're going to be discussing on the hills of just talking about the judgment that will come upon each and every one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ. The title there in last podcast was, You Will Give an Account to God. Today, podcast 224, we're going to be finishing chapter three, where we're going to be exploring ways not to destroy a church. Now, just to bring you up to speed, verses 14 and 15 were very significant. And let me read those scripture verses to you. Paul said, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And what we had talked about, because remember, he was laying out agricultural illustration as well as covering the skill of the people who built the temple. So architects would receive a payment, obviously, upon completion of a project. And what Paul was getting at was as a skilled master builder, we are to build on the foundation, which is Christ, and we will receive our rewards according to the humble obedience of of the work that we've done right for Jesus. But the question here is, is what you're doing for the Lord lasting? I mean, if it genuinely and truly is unto the Lord, it will last and you will receive a reward. But the Bible says in verse 15, that if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss though he is saved, but only as through fire. So there will be works that we will do on earth that we think were unto the Lord, we, we believe that we are doing it with good intention, but the day of judgment will come, that judgment seat of Christ, where we will not be repaid because of our inept or our unwise or selfish desires. So there are times when we are building unwisely and we're building on sand and there's times that we're building on a firm foundation. So the question is, even though you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, Are you going to be receiving a loss of rewards because of the things that you fail to do for the Lord? So as we're now transitioning in verses 16 through 23, this is so significant because on the heels of talking about the final judgment and will the works you do last, we have to ensure that we're living out not just church life, but Christian living the way that God has called us to do in abundance. So that's where we pick things up. So if you have a Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23, notice right off the bat where Paul says here with a question, do you not know that you're God's temple? So before he was talking about being a master skill builder in building the temple, but then he personalizes it because remember throughout the letter, Paul uses the clause, do you not know? He actually uses it 10 times. So what he's doing is as a great teacher is he says, don't you know this to be true? And and to some capacity, he's qualifying their knowledge of something that is true, but he's also personalizing it to show them the utter importance, conveying an indisputable statement of truth. Don't you know the importance of you being the temple of God? So not only are we to be a masterful, skilled builder, like recognizes the artistry of people who built the temple, but we ourselves are the temple, meaning God created and made us. So Paul's transitioning into this third metaphor by using relationships. So we'll touch on that in a minute, but look at verse 17. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy for you are that temple. And then he goes on to say, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise, in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ and Christ is God's. So what a beautiful passage as we are going to learn today of how we are to live our life without destroying the church, but rather, and this is our prayer as members around the world who tune into this podcast to grow in our strength and knowledge of God's word, that we are to build up the church. That is the significance so when you go back to this third metaphor that Paul is using about relationships, notice the description and notice the details uh, that he's giving here, and it almost is like a cross reference of how the writer of First Kings describes the details of the temple by Solomon in First Kings chapter six, verses one through thirty-eight. So, if you will, Paul is taking a page. From that description, by applying you and I as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, this phrase, God's temple, in the Greek, this is interesting because temple is noos. So it literally means sanctuary, which comprises the whole temple area, including the Holy of Holies. So this is the totality of the temple sanctuary. And so when Paul says, Don't you not know that you are God's temple? You are God's dwelling. This is a reference. My friends, to the inner temple, inner temple where God dwells. Jesus referenced this. Remember about his earthly body as a temple. If you go back to John chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty-one. If you actually look at the book of Ephesians, Paul says that God is present in His church in Ephesians chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-two, just as He was in the midst of His people according to Exodus chapter 25, verses eight and nine. Matter of fact, let me read you that passage of scripture. Moses writes, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So he's writing down the words of God who said, exactly I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So notice the significance here. Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. We are that sanctuary where God's spirit dwells in you. So when we use that phrase, not only are we the temple of God where God dwells, but it says specifically where God's spirit dwells in you, that means God's spirit mediates his presence. God's spirit mediates his presence. We are God's spiritual temple. That is the church because the Holy Spirit indwells in each one of us. Paul will later say in this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I love what the, the Bible reader's commentary says. It says, quote, the New Testament also uses several symbols to help us better understand the nature of the people God has called out to be his own. The symbol of a living body in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4 stresses the interdependence of a people whose growth depends on an intimate fellowship in which spiritual gifts are freely exercised. The image of a holy temple in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 and 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 emphasizes the commitment of God's people to holiness and worship. The image of a family in John chapter 13 and Ephesians chapter 3 emphasizes the importance of loving, close, personal relationships. The image of a field here emphasizes the growth toward maturity God seeks to stimulate in the people called by his name. So that is the significance of what it means that don't you not know that you are God's temple where God's spirit dwells? God resides within us and therefore we belong to him, which is why now this is so pivotal when he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, because it's not just about work. We do the work because of who we belong to. And may I say who we are. So we belong to God. Therefore, positionally, we've been made right with him. We are his children so that is so important that when we do the work is because we're doing the work of our father as obedient children. And that's something that Jesus contrasted many times in his parabolical teaching about an obedient child or a disobedient child. So when Paul says here in verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him because we see the significance and the holiness of how we are to treat our bodies in the body of Christ. Now he also says that God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So by definition declared by God, we are holy because we've been made right with him in Christ. Now Paul contrasts between being God's temple and now he contrasts with those who potentially can and often do destroy the temple of God. Now that does not mean that the very temple of God is destroyed What it's saying is that the temple of God, which is sacred, requires holiness for us to protect it and to cherish it and not to divide over it. So when people cause division, they are destroying the unity of the body. The word destroy has two meanings. It can mean to defile or corrupt uh, into ruin. Now, if you look at your life, there's been times where sin has caused defilement. It caused corruption but it can also ruin relationships. It can ruin uh, your life uh, as a Christian because of the defiance, because of the corruption. Now, previously, Paul had mentioned that being judged uh, for service that was rendered to God on earth. And so now what he's doing is he says, listen, when I was telling you guys about being judged for the services rendered to you, you need to make sure, because this isn't, this is a warning. You can, you can, You can tell people in advance that this is what you're expected based on your work. This is what you'll get paid if you're loyal and you're committed, but there's also a warning that is attached to it because if you cross the line, if you engage in destructive behavior, if you divide the church, you will be judged. Those in context of what we've been learning are foolish builders. They're not true servants of Christ. You see, my friends, when leaders brag about their accomplishments, when they are talking about all that they have done, that actually causes division and that is not foundational to the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nowhere do we see in Jesus's teaching is about self-exaltation. When the disciples debated about who the greatest was, you saw time and time again where Jesus openly rebuked them and compared the kingdom of heaven as a child. Matter of fact, if you go back to the same letter in chapter one, verses 11 through 13, remember what Paul said. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So when Paul says here, God will destroy that person, God will not allow his people to disrupt, tear down, or demolish the body of Christ. He is a just and holy God who will bring about necessary retribution to any and all who attempt to destroy his divine work. And that is something that we have to fear and that's something that we have to truly understand, because God's temple is holy. The New King James New Testament uh, Spirit-Filled Bible says the building is identified as God's temple, made holy by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Here, the temple of God is the local church. In First Corinthians six, verse nineteen, it is the individual Christian's body. In Ephesians two, twenty and twenty-one, it is the church universal. In chapter 3, verse 17, Paul does not specify how many may destroy the temple of God that is the church. The word means to ruin through corrupting or seducing. Thus, any number of unworthy, immature, or crude means may apply. It may be by false teaching, by pride and spite, or by immorality. Paul does make it clear, however, that one defiling will himself be brought to ruin. And you and I know that there are consequences when it comes to sin. So when Paul, again, in two verses, when he's issuing this declarative statement, this indisputable truth claim that you are that temple. Again, temple means to dwell. You're the dwelling of God. So after the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and and dwelt God's children. I believe this began when Jesus appeared in his resurrected body in the upper room where it was locked and he breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples. See, God no longer dwells in wood or stone, but he now dwells in living stones. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then we see here in verse 18, he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And you think this is interesting because he's just talking about the temple. Why would he be posing this about deception and thinking someone to be wise. Well, again, this is a repeated, ongoing thing that Paul lays out to draw attention to the foolishness of the world. You Go back to chapter one, verses 18 through 20, chapter two, verse 14, verses 18 through 23. In that context, in that bridge there, in that chapter, Paul, he uses what is known as the inclusio. This means a repetitive marking from opening to the very end of the text. And what he's saying is encompassing this as a repetitive marker, this is a very important thing not to forget. And that is this, if there's one way that you're going to destroy the church of God, whether you're going to cause division is when somebody is deceived and they think more highly than they ought to think of themselves. I can't tell you how that has been in my own life and how I've seen that destroy countless other people. And that's exactly why Paul uses this inclusio is because from the, from the opening repetitive marker in the beginning to the very end of the text, he's speaking this directly to the Corinthians. The quarrelsome Corinthians or the quarrelsome people that are among you are going to continue to divide. And the, and the more that they are deceived and the more highly they think of themselves, they're going to continue to divide more people. And that pride and that arrogance is not going to bring peace. It's not going to bring stability. It's going to cause much more division and it's going to be dishonorable to the Lord. You see that all the way throughout this letter. This is a huge portion of what Paul is trying to convey to them. And that is so true for us. Paul's stressing this about life, my friends, because when you look at a lot of what we have done in our life, a lot of the decisions or a lot of the troubles that we face today is because of boasting. It's because we look to man. We look to our own wisdom. We're bragging about accomplishments that are done in the flesh. And those are the things, if you go back to verses 14 and 15, they will not receive their rewards. They will be burned up. This word deceive, this is important for us to understand because it means to help eliminate division and jealousy. So when you consider the division or the jealousy that is in your life today, in your family or in the church world, ask yourself how much has the people that are leading you supposedly have been deceived, that they have been fooled into believing that the the world's measurements, the world's standard of things is the most important thing and they elevate that above God. So rather than, again, building up things on the foundation of Christ, rather than the recognizing that we are the holy temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells, we get lost in the wisdom of this age. That's deception. And that causes people to live unwise lives or to live unwisely. And which is why Paul says in verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is folly. Now what Paul does here is he takes two passages of scripture and I always love referring to this because again it shows Paul's knowledge and his ability to articulate the Hebrew scriptures. He says here he catches the wise in their craftiness and again he says the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So that's Job chapter 5 verse 13 and Psalm 94 verse 11 and Paul uses these two verses to make the case that the foolishness of the world is no match to the wisdom of God. That is so true. So when people are deceived and it causes division and jealousy, it's because they're looking to the ways of the world and the ways of the world, as much as we've been persuaded by it or influenced by it, it pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. That's why the wisdom of this world, my friends, is exactly that. It's folly with God. Now, the Expositors Bible Commentary says this, the graphic word catches vividly portrays the idea that humans and their craftiness are no match for God. They set up their schemes of salvation against God's, but he catches them up short then it goes on to say, Paul's second quotation is Psalm 94, verse 11, showing that the Lord knows all the futile thoughts of the so called wise men. Nothing that enters their minds is beyond his understanding. All that is not in tune with God's thoughts is vain. So, my friends, we have to understand that our allegiance is to Christ, therefore we are to seek his counsel, his wisdom. We are to learn from him as the source of all wisdom. We are to obey his will rather being divided over petty things. Now one practical way recorded by Paul that can help Christians overcome divisiveness is to humble yourself before him and to recognize that you're part of the family and your job as a family member is to keep the family united which is why Paul says here in the very closing portion of chapter three, so let no one boast in men for all thing, things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So he starts this portion of scripture in verse 16 to now to verse 23 from that you are the temple of, where God dwells, to you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So again, after exposing deception in verse 18, Paul now challenges the Corinthians not to be arrogant in their faith. When he uses this phrase, that all is yours, what he's saying is that the church of God's creation is his workmanship. So we are his workmanship. We belong to God. We are part of God's family. And so everything that belongs to Christ, who belongs to God, Belongs ultimately to the Trinity. Now, salvifically, since we are in Christ and He is in us, Romans eight seventeen puts it like this: "And if children, then they're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him." So here's the bottom line: There's no need for us to complain. There's no need for us to divide over things and trying to elevate one another and following the ways of the world that is folly to God. There's no way, my friends, that we're going to make the world better. We're going to make ourselves better. And we're going to bring unity to the church if we make it about ourselves. If we're complaining about attempting to gain more things in the world, more recognition, more stature, that's what the Corinthians were doing. And they're not getting anything in return. They have already what they need from Jesus Christ himself. So this phrase, you are Christ, this is something that Paul has used over and over again in 1 Corinthians, in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians. You are Christ. Christ is our high priest who on our behalf, my friends, became the mediator. He became the atoner. So when you are struggling and you feel like you're not connected with the Lord and there's jealousy and there's division and there's strife where you're trying to serve the Lord. As I was talking to some Christians recently and they felt not just tongue tied about sharing their faith, but they felt inadequate. They didn't really know what their spiritual gifts were. And they're trying to figure out how God can use them. Here's a great reminder for all of us. We're not to boast in man. The scripture says, remember, this goes back to first Corinthians chapter one, verse 18 and chapter 1 verse 29, no flesh will boast in the presence of the Lord. So when we gather as God's temple, who we belong to, who we are, we are God's temple where he dwells. We are to make sure that we look to the author and perfecter of our faith. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 reminds us, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So at at the least of all of what we've discussed, that if we can just say, Lord, you are the perfect one. You have executed in your perfect decrees, the divine will of God, that you have given us a divine nature through Christ, that we belong to you, that we're not to advance our own dreams and aspirations, that we're not to undermine or to, default or deregulate or diminish the will of god and if we've done that we need to acknowledge that and ask gods for forgiveness but when it comes to championing the church when it comes to uniting the church in verses 16 to through 23 are ways where we are not to destroy the church and one way that we can destroy ourselves in the church is by thinking more highly of ourselves is to look to the world and to use their measurements, and to use their expectations. And once we do that, then it becomes about us, and it doesn't become about the Lord. So I pray that's been an encouragement to your soul, my friends, today as we're looking at First Corinthians chapter 3 and looking at it verse by verse. If there's any questions you may have and you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so by emailing at info at org. As always, you can go to standstrongministries.org and check out all the resources that we've made available for all of you guys with articles and videos and books that I've written. If you have any personal questions or prayer requests, make sure that you guys don't skip out and think, oh, it's not really that important. It is very important because we love hearing from you guys and seeing the work that God is doing. So thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends.